We are in part 22 of our Connecting to Church series through the book of Ephesians, and I wanted to finish up our three-week mini-series on marriage and relationships, right? So there are a couple things I wanted to share as we begin. I was asked the question, kind of, why are we doing this series, right? Like everything's chaotic in society and there's a million things that we could talk about. Why are we doing a mini-series on marriage? And the, and the, the, the question that followed was, aren't there more important things to talk about? And here's the answer, no. Now, here's why we're doing this series. It is more important than ever. Our nation is struggling, we are struggling, and for whatever reason, God designed marriage and relationships and family to be the very cornerstone of our society. Remember, whatever is going on out there first began in the home. So if we don't put the proper attention to making sure that our relationships are healthy, our marriages are healthy, and our home is healthy, then we're gonna to continue to have the dysfunction that's going to pour out into our nation. But this is not just a series for people that are married. If you have relationships with other human people, this series is for you. Because why? People are people. Life is a constant series of relational connections. The better you navigate those, the smoother your life is gonna go. So I want you to take every one of the principles I'm going to teach or that Pastor Paul taught or that Pastor Brian taught, I want you to take them and I want you to use them with your friends. I want you to use them with your coworkers. I want you to use them with your families back home. I want you to use them wherever you have interaction with other people because once again, we're in the people business. It's Jesus and people. That's it. That's all the important stuff in this world. And then the last reason, if you ever have a desire to get married, remember, you always, if you're ever gonna take risk, you always wanna learn the tools before you jump. Does that make sense? For, real quick, do I need to give an analogy? Skydiving, right? I don't know anybody that goes, I'm going skydiving, I'll figure it out on the way down. You understand what I mean? I mean, you just gotta know what you're doing before you jump, and then you jump, and everything's cool. All right, so Pastor Paul and Pastor Brian have taught us over the last couple weeks a couple different key pieces, and here's the key thing that they shared. The Bible teaches us that the heart of good relationships is where we're trying to outserve one another, where we are putting other people's needs before our own. The more selfishness that is involved, the more dysfunction is going to happen. So I wanna take that and I wanna build on that. I wanna make sure that all of our relationships return to be a blessing that they were intended to be. If we're gonna talk about marriage, Marriages are, healthy marriages are good for society. Healthy marriages glorify God. Healthy marriages are good for us. So what's the formula for a healthy marriage or relationship? That is the fill in the blank on the app. If you're using the app or if you're just taking notes, write this down. The formula is addition, not division. Or let me say it another way. The formula isn't division, it is addition. Either way, you want to say that. You know what I'm talking about? If there is division in your relationships, if there is a separation of hearts, if there is a splitting or a chasm of love, we're going to have chaos. We were built 
to bless one another so that you plus me should equal blessing. Amen? And if it's not doing that, something's wrong in the formula and we got to refix it and make it right. All right, so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I want to read the whole passage that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, right? Because Paul the Apostle dropped some pretty heavy material on us, as if we're supposed to know how to do it. He's like, hey, make sure all your relationships are solid. Cool. How do I do that? That's why we need to take a little bit of time and figure out some more tools for our tool belt. Let's go ahead and just read it together. Ephesians 5.22, you can follow along with me. Begins like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Boy, easy to say, way different to live. Let's get some tools. All right, marriage was designed for a variety of reasons by God, but I'm gonna cite three of them. You may wanna write these down. Three reasons for marriage, and as a matter of fact, three reasons for all kinds of significant relationships in our life. The first one is this, to be a place for the glory of God. To be a place for the glory of God. You see, there are a couple places here on earth that it should be as it is in heaven. You guys heard that phrase? For it to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, there's three locations that should always be so. The heart of a Christian, the home of a Christian, and the church of a Christian. We can't control the world, but we certainly have influence over our hearts, our homes, and our church. You see, our most significant relationships are designed so that we might be for the glory of God. Do you realize that Christian families reveal God? I don't know how many of us think about that when we get married. I don't think many of us take that responsibility on us. I don't think that when we have kids, we understand that how we treat them and interact with them is a mission statement of what God is. You see, because here's the thing. All of God's creation is supposed to talk about him and glorify him, right? 
A mountain's supposed to glorify him. A tree's supposed to glorify him. I mean, that's just the way it is. They are who they were designed to be. But in the families, it's the same thing. Someone that doesn't know God should be able to look at your family and know things about the Lord. Do you know how many conferences I have taught about God being our father and everybody has a hard time with it? Because their dad was messed up. If we are not having relationships rightly, it skews our view of the Lord. We are walking billboards. If you're a Christian, everywhere you go, everything you do, everyone else is looking to see what God is like through you. Our marriages are no different. Our parenting is no different. They were designed to be for the glory of God. Of God, and we have to take that seriously. Number two, write this down a place to be transformed. A place to be transformed. Your most significant relationships in your life will be used by God as crucibles for change. Marriage specifically, God will use your spouse as his primary shaping tool, his primary chisel to shape out of rock his image in you. So God brings change through our most important relationships. What is one of the biggest things that he teaches us through relationships? Is to stop being selfish. Let me, let me just go through this for a moment. Do you realize that we are born selfish? I don't know if you've ever worked with babies. <laughs> babies are all about themselves, right? Oh, it's your bottle again, right? Nobody has to teach a toddler to be more selfish. Hey, you know what, kid? You should probably hang on to your blocks more and punch that other kid in the face. Nobody needs to teach that. That's just something that naturally comes out, right? It's kind of like it's all about me. As a matter of fact, that is a part of childhood development when we start realizing other people matter, right? And then what happens? Well, we realize we have siblings. Boy, are siblings irritating. They take our stuff, right? I mean, you have to share. Nobody likes the word share, right? Like you're up and all of a sudden there's a bunch of food and then somebody else has to pull off the plate and you're like, what are you doing? And then whenever you get something for Christmas and they're like, well, share it with your brother or share it with your sister, right? That kind of thing. And we realize it's not all about us. And then we grow up and we get a plant. You see, here's the problem. If you're super selfish, your plant's gonna die. Now, it's funny, I was watching a program with a relationship guru and she was super funny. She said, I tell single women, don't ever date a man that does not own a plant. If he can't commit to that relationship, he is never gonna commit to you. And so I told every man that I knew, go buy a plant and when it dies, buy a new one. <laughs> no, that's not what I told him. That's not what I said. That's terrible advice. Why would I say that? Then we decide we want to up the ante and we get a puppy. Puppies are awesome until you can't sleep and he poops all over the house, right? And then suddenly what? You have to get a puppy sitter when you go on vacation. You can't just go where you want to go and you got to do, I got to get home. I got to let the dog out, stuff like that, right? And there's food and there's water and all that. And suddenly you realize you have to make your life about something else. And then you get married. Oh, dear Lord. You get married. Man, that other person, they come in, they come into your space, they screw up all your routines. 
Man, they start taking your stuff. They want to know where you're at all the time, right? They want to tell you how to spend money. They take your bed covers, right? See, bottom line, it's not about you anymore. And then the final phase, you want to talk about selflessness? Driving kids. Nothing will burn selfishness out of you faster than a child. Now, I just got to say, next week, I'm starting a parenting, two-part parenting series for that very reason, right? So we can all be in the same place at the same time doing the same thing, talking about that important piece, right? But here's the third reason why marriage was designed. This is the one that I want to finish the rest of our time on, because it's the one that everybody gets wrong. Marriage was also designed, and our core relationships were designed for, number three, a place to meet core needs. A place to meet core needs. And here's what I mean. There was a human being named Adam, and he was all by himself. And God said what? That's not good. So he made another human being named Eve, and brought her over to him, and it was very good. And this is what we start to get wrong. People then think that the solution to loneliness is marriage. (laughs) Wrong. The solution to loneliness and isolation is community. Marriage is just one way to have community. How do we know that? Because The very center of our entire faith of Christianity was single his entire life, and he was full. Paul the Apostle, the one that wrote more books of the New Testament than any other person, and our greatest evangelist of all time, was single. As a matter of fact, in Corinthians, in one chapter, he mentions being single 11 times. He's pretty clear on what he's doing. Marriage will not solve all your problems. This is where all the marriage people are like, yeah, amen, right? No, I'm talking to the singles right now. If you're single, I'm telling you right now, it is not going to solve all your problems because anything significant brings with itself a set of challenges, right? Now, this is super important because... If we walk into marriage with the wrong expectations, it can turn us sour really fast. You see, marriage can be, if it is stewarded, if it is managed, if it is invested in, if it is cherished, it can create one of the most significant human relational structures possible. But if it's not, You know how many people I know in my life right now that the number one significant hurt and pain in their life is their spouse? That is what they're always praying about. So I have a bunch of people in church wanting to be married and a bunch of people in church wanting to be single. We never seem to be content no matter where we're at because here's the truth. It's not about the other person. It's really about you. We've done a couple different disservices to our marriages, especially in America, especially in certain communities. 
because we've encouraged the attitude and behaviors of isolation and autonomy. Let me give you an example. There is a beautiful romantic notion that says, man, I'm going to go find the one for me. And we're going to get married and we're going to be best friends. And we're going to move away from all of this. And we're going to go far away and start our own lives and be independent. You know the problem with that? That when you're now isolated out in a new area, so far away from everybody else, bad things happen and you have no support system. You see, thank the Lord, there are some cultures in this world that still value family. And they have moms and dads around. They have aunts and uncles around. They have people around to feed into them. Do you realize that marriage was never designed to hold the weight of you being someone other's only? That was never how it was built. And, and, and what happens is we look and we go, my marriage failed. No, it didn't. It just did what it was built to do, and we put too much weight on it. We've got to have mentors. We've got to have friends. You know how many people I know that once they get married, they disappear? Man, once they start dating, all their friends are like, where is the everybody, right? Like, now you guys are gone, and, and then we try to come back around two years later, and all our friends have moved on. We have to have mentors, we have to have friends, we have to have wisdom around us, we have to have family around us. That's what it was built to do. And too often, we say, my marriage failed. No, your system failed. It couldn't hang on there because it wasn't built to do that. Here's the problem with people get married to fill their core needs. Sometimes we're not sure which core needs we're supposed to have met by who, right? That's one of the big problems. And it all has to do with expectations, right? If you believe that marriage is all about meeting your needs, you will be disappointed, angry, and bitter. If you believe that marriage is about nothing more than coexistence, it's gonna die on the vine. But if you believe that it's about changing you into the person God designed you to be, you will be pleasantly surprised. If you believe that it's God's opportunity for you to care for something and tend a beautiful gift that's supposed to bless you for the rest of your life but will require hard work and attention, then you'll thrive. You see, what are the right needs? If we put too much on our spouse, if we too put too much on our significant relationships with our friends, and they keep cracking under the weight, what can we do differently? Well, I want you to picture in your mind three baskets. There are three baskets of your life, of needs. On one basket, it has the word God. On the next basket, it has the word self. And the third basket has the word spouse. Or if you're not married, put on best friend. What needs go in what basket? If you mix them up, we're going to have a problem. So let's start walking through there. What is supposed to be in your basket? Well, thankfully, it's easy. A bunch of the things that go in your basket start with the word self. Right? That's very helpful. So, for example, self-esteem. Self-confidence, self-care, 
That is all in your basket. That is not for your spouse or your friends to do for you. They should not have to ride you in order for you to care for yourself. Psychologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you have to watch over your own health. You can't say, you're the one that did this to me. No, that's on you. It's for you to care for yourself. Too often, we think that we'll just figure it out along the way and we don't do enough self-care and then we don't have enough healthy boundaries and then things start to get out of whack. You can't put that in somebody else's basket. That's yours. I would also include hygiene. Moving on. What goes in the God basket? All the big stuff. So, for example... Contentment. Do you realize it's not your friend's job to make you content? Do you realize it's not your spouse's job to keep you content? You are not going to have another human provide you satisfaction. Those things only come from the Lord. So if you are consistently angry that the relationships around you are letting you down, they're probably letting down your expectations even more than they're letting you down. Humans can only do so much. But God can do so much more. Here's a couple other things that would be in that basket. Joy, peace, faith, right? I mean, these huge pieces, they can only come from God. Your spouse is not supposed to keep you fired up for the Lord. Your friends are not the ones that keep you in church. That's a relationship between you and him. If you don't have a vibrant walk with God personally, you can't live off the faith of your friends. You can't live off the faith of your spouse. You have to be growing in the Lord all the time or it doesn't work. And then what if we have all those in those baskets, what's left in a spouse basket? What's left in a best friend basket? Well, how about this? And I'm gonna talk specifically about spouses right now. How about this? Contribution to the relationship. Contribution to the home. I don't care how you work it out, but they have to be contributing somewhere, somehow. This is not a free pass. You don't just get to ride on my coattails and I do everything and you just kind of hang in like a leech. That makes sense? Other stuff that should be in that category. How about love? I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That should be an expectation of people around you, especially if they're believers. You don't get to just treat me whatever way you want. Jesus Christ set a mandate, and I'm going to expect that you would love me in that way. Am I going to be disappointed? Yes, just like they're disappointed with me. But it's all right to expect love. Here's another one. How about friendship? How about respect? These are all right to expect. If you're married, intimacy, that's all right to expect. You can't get it in the other baskets, right? But my point is simply this. If we keep assuming that our friends or our spouse is going to fill us up, we're always gonna be disappointed. Because God built us to need one another, he built us to need him, and he built us to need to self-manage. And if we're neglecting any of those, the weight gets too heavy. Let me give you a couple other disclaimers as we kind of close this up. If you are trying to figure out what good friendships look like or a healthy marriage looks like, I want you to look at other 
couples or friends that do it right. But listen to me, this is my warning. Please don't fall into the comparison trap because that is death immediately. Why? Because we start saying, well, their marriage looks like this and their marriage, they always do everything together. First of all, you can never from the outside know what another marriage is really like. And you can't know another friendship. Oh, they always seem to be on social media together. They're always hanging out together. They're doing everything together. Oh, it looked like this was fun and this was fun and this was fun. And I don't have my person. Do you realize that some people are way cooler on social media than they are in real life? And when I mean some people, I mean every people, right? Please don't compare because what happens is your expectations start ratcheting into the imaginary. And we gotta keep them right down here on earth. So we can learn from others, but please don't compare with others. It's never apples to apples. Different people, different scenario. And let me give you one other caveat on this. The lost art of perseverance will get the maximum blessing out of your relationships. What does that mean? It means there's glory on the other side of the trial. Do you guys remember this passage in the Bible that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now here's what was interesting to me as a kid. Isn't that talking about a good shepherd leading sheep? Isn't the good shepherd God? Here was my question. Why are you taking me into the valley of death? I need a different shepherd. What's going on? Isn't there possibly another path? Right? And what's interesting is I read a book. It's one of my favorite of all time. Uh, I read it when I was young, and it was Philip Keller's book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And he said, the only reason you go through the valley of the shadow of death is on the other side are the tablelands where you graze the sheep. So you only go through it if it's necessary to get them over to the blessing part. That's why you take them through. You don't take them through just to take them through. You're not in like a special off sheep training, right? <laughs> what you need to do is watch your back, right? You know, <laughs> and you're shooting at them and stuff. I mean, that's not really a thing. You are only taking them through. Just understand, you never can forget that word through, though he, t- he walks me through the valley of the shadow. He's not camping there. We're not staying there. That's not the rest of our life. We're going through it and getting to the other side. On the other side, there is blessing. What does this have to do with relationships? Too many of us bail in the tension. And our perseverance isn't strong enough to get us the tablelands on the other side. There is something about sticking through it. I was talking uh, at one of our services, talking to a couple that was, that was married for 56 years. Actually, they were disagreeing. It could have been 55. She said 55, he said 56. And isn't that marriage? And the bottom line is I said, how many, uh, have you guys had any struggles? Yep. Have you had any really bad ones? Yep. Have you had any ones that lasted a really long time? Yep. Okay. Welcome to marriage. There is a blessing to persevere. There is a blessing to fixing what's broken. What I'm not telling you to do is just tough out dysfunction. I'm telling you to fix it. I'm telling you that Jesus needs to get involved or we have a whole lot of problems. All right, let me just finish out. If you are between the age of 35 and 60... You know the answer to this question, right? Here we go. 
The key to a good marriage is, oh, nothing, nothing. We have a bunch of teenagers. All right, here we go. The key to a good marriage is communication. Anybody ever heard that before? Oh, of course you did. The 70s, 80s, and 90s pushed it down our throat. Key to any good relationship is communication. So I just want to highlight real fast why communication is such a big deal. Because we don't read each other's minds. Woo, write that down. This is powerful stuff. And until we can figure out how to read each other's minds, we have to talk. Right? And when we talk, here's what's funny. Talking's hard. I do it for a living. Talking is very difficult. Because why? Because all communication is based on the concept of encoding a message, sending a message, decoding that message, and receiving that message. Do you understand how many things can go wrong in that process? It's just like computers, right? I remember when computers first started having email, and I used to get emails from different software things, and they would come out jumbled because my computer didn't know, I'm showing my age, computers didn't even know which one it was trying to decode. And so it would come out as gibberish and I had to have them resend it, right? So here's the point. All human beings, when we communicate, we have a bias and we load our message with what we meant. We send it out, and sometimes we don't send it out very clearly. They receive it with their bias they unpackage it and go, what did you say? And you're like, I was trying to be nice. And then they're like, well, and then they fire one back. We've got to adjust for bias and start to hear what people are trying to say, not just what they say. So let me cut to the chase. If we go through and we examine and do all the diagnostic tools and do gender studies and all this stuff. Here's what you're gonna find out. In the end, here's what sociologists have come up with. Men, your stereotypical core need is significance. Holistically, you desperately wanna know that you matter in the world. Now, do women wanna matter? Of course. But there's something weird about how guys handle it because if they don't feel significant, they will go to where they do. They have a hero complex and they get easily shut down. Ladies, sociologists have determined that your core need is security, primarily through human relationships, meaning that if your core relationships are off, it scrambles everything you're trying to do because you can't go out and conquer the world if those are super bad. So is it not ironic that Paul just taught us that wives are to respect their husbands for their significance and husbands are to selflessly love their wives for security? Hmm. I'm sure it's an accident. Right? So as we finish, is it really too difficult? That's how many of us feel right now. We're thinking about that friendship that had betrayal. We're thinking about trying to forgive somebody. We're thinking about our marriages. We're thinking about all this stuff. And we're saying, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. 
Here's my answer to you. First of all, I'm sorry you feel that way. You are not alone. But I have a solution for you, and it's this. All significant relationships must be fueled by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit or they don't work. You were never meant to do it through grit. You were never meant to just try harder. You were never meant to solve everything on your own. You were never meant to make an amazing marriage without Jesus. That the key and the answer is that you have a deep enough relationship with God that his living water is flowing into you to overflowing and only then can you have grace, patience, love, forgiveness. Other than that, you're just running on air. So I don't know whether or not this is a relationship with a family member. I don't know whether or not this is your significant other. I don't know whether or not this is just simply a beautiful friendship that has gone awry. Here's my encouragement to you. The more you fall in love with Jesus, the more he transforms you. You can't change the other person, but he transforms you. And the more he fills you up so you don't feel so tired and want to give up all the time. Listen, I'm just gonna pray for us as we close out. I don't know what relationships you're dealing with right now that are hard for you, but I'd like to pray some refreshment into them. Is that all right? So let's go ahead and just as I'm praying, if you have something that's going on relationally, just open up your hands to God as we pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in this beautiful, holy moment, we ask for your refreshment. That God, that we have had difficulty and we never fully rebounded. So we're praying, Lord, that you would saturate our dry desert of a soul with living water. We pray that, Heavenly Father, you would remind us again what your grace means and why it's so abundant and that you would show us your love and that you would fill us up so much like a spring underneath that we could give out a ton and still never run dry. God, would you heal our friendships would you heal our marriages? Would you heal our families? Would you heal our coworker relationships? Would you heal all the significant relationships in our life through the process of transforming us into your image through your power and your blessing? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.